Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer. On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34. On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34. But in Series 2, we're going younger. We're teaming up with Teenage Cancer Trust to bring you seven new storytellers. As seven 13 to 24-year-olds are diagnosed every day. So, Series 2 focuses on them. These are the stories of what happens afterwards. This is Afterthoughts. The Teenage Years. Hi, Alice. Hiya, Toby. All right? Um, yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. That was quite um, quite northern, wasn't it? What you were or me, because I always get worried I'm copying your accent. And <laughs> No, I, I was very northern. Um, I think it's probably because I've been talking to my family quite a lot on FaceTime recently. Um, and I get more northern when I talk to them. <laughs> now, Alice, why are you talking to your family on FaceTime and not in person? Why? What's happening in the world? Oh, um, is it that we're still in lockdown? <laughs> lockdown 3.0. Um, series two of Afterthoughts has completely um, taken place in lockdown. I haven't seen you in real life since September. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. I realised um, last week, actually, um, that I hadn't seen anyone other than my husband, Chris, um, since New Year's Day when I saw some friends for like 10 minutes. Um, and then he was like, dude you have to get out of the house and took me to um volunteer at a vaccination clinic with him because yes. he was like, you have to see somebody else you have to see some other people see I'm impressed that you've been able to to get through like I, I'm impressed that you're, you're able to do that I have been rejected twice now on the uh, volunteer website <laughs> I did not have to go through the website I oh. just happened to be married to a practice manager oh, yes that's organized everything I mean, oh, the, seriously, the perks, the perks, right? <laughs> oh, such a glamorous life. Um, if you want a session in Brixton, mate, I can get you a session in Brixton. Brixton feels like it is light years away from me. Right. It is a really long way from you. When um, I'm just on the other side of London. Um, but Alice, today, today is, is a special day because actually the last episode is going out right now. Yeah, exactly. We dropped the last episode this morning on the day of Joe Biden's inauguration. Um, and yeah, I can't believe we have come to the end of another series of afterthoughts. Should I just note that we haven't planned it to coincide with Joe Biden's inauguration? Like it wasn't a case that everything was planned around that at all. Absolutely not. But it's a happy coincidence that it is. Do you think, though, that Joe won't be listening to this episode? Because we know that Joe Biden is a, is, does listen to most episodes. An avid listener. Um, avid listener. I, I guess he's got other things on. Got other things on his plate, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's got other things on his desk, as we were just reading. He's got a letter <laughs> right. to read. And they've got a fantastic concert to enjoy this evening. Have you seen the lineup of people who are performing at the inauguration? Yeah, it's very, very impressive. Absolutely incredible. If you, if you could see anyone from the inauguration live who would you like to see from that I, list? from that list um it's probably bruce oh bruce the boss the boss yeah. yeah what about you yeah i'd love to see bruce springsteen live actually um but i am a massive foo fighters fan i love them interesting, interesting. Hmm. Um, alice um this is what we we we've I'm going to say tend to do like this is the second time we've done this, but we do a wrap up episode, don't we? Of our yeah, uh, thoughts, it's kind of reflecting back on the on the series, what's happened, uh, the stories we've heard, giving giving some of like the ones that we're uh, interested to share. Um, I think it's essentially like um, a long, well, a big afterthoughts on afterthoughts, isn't it? It's a series long afterthoughts on. Afterthoughts. Wowzers, that's yeah. Does that yeah? That's no, that sums it up really, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But what's what's going on in your life right now? Have you, anything, any big news? I mean, some fairly big news. Um, I bought a house. You bought a house? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Moving next week. Um, and the thing I'm most excited about, and I know that you'll be excited about this as well, <gasps> I'm going to get myself some furry co-workers. Nice. Yep, I, um, I'm trying to get an appointment with Celia Hammond so that I can adopt some cats. Lovely. 
Um, what about you? Tell us about your life. Well, I mean, since we have spoken, there has been some uh, furry um, additions to my my flat. As um, the afterthoughts listeners might not know this, but um, our kind of unofficial mascot throughout <laughs> um, the second half of series one and the whole of series two really was uh, my cat Twinkles. Yeah. 21 um, year old, uh, lovely lady. Um, who uh, we brought in off the streets and then found out that she actually lived up the road. It's a longer <laughs> story, isn't it? Um, unfortunately, we lost Twinkles in um, October or no, early November, um, which was very sad, particularly when I was listening back to all of the episodes and doing the editing and realising um, that how much she featured, how much she featured. Well, I just feel like she's not just the, the mascot of afterthoughts but I feel like she was really the, the mascot of Beyond Arts because anytime you and I are talking about Beyond Arts stuff Twinkles would always come and say hello and we're on Zoom and um, I also was very very fond of her even though I'd never met her in real life. Never met her in real life. But with one loss comes yes. a wonderful gain right? Yeah we have uh, just very recently decided to uh, rehome another old lady. Uh, her name is Kaya. Uh, not an actual old lady. No, no, it's another cat, um, a fairy it's cat. Um, and uh, she's 17. Um, and uh, sadly, she lost her previous owner. And so we're kind of we're trying to think about it like she has lost her special one and we've lost our special one. And uh, we're going to look after each other now for foreseeable future. My favourite thing about it is that you and your partner, Christy, are both vegetarians, but Kaya gets chicken. She does indeed. She gets, <laughs> she gets what she just, wants. I just think it's magnificent. She's so, I love how soft you are about cats. It's, it's the best. I think that leads us on really nicely to our quick fire <laughs> round, because our quick fire question round, because we've both essentially just given away the answer to one of the questions. Who's going first, you or I? Uh, you are. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind. You do rock, paper, scissors. Okay, rock, paper, scissors. Ready? One, One two, two, three. three. Oh. <laughs> um, you win. So, what do you want? Um, I'm going to ask the questions first. Okay, Alice. I'm ready to you rock. You do rock, paper, scissors real slow. One, two... Three, real slow. Anyway, okay. Okay, so, quick, fire, quick fire, quick fire. Let's do this. Let's show them what we expect. You know, this is the, right. the quick fire stuff. You ready? Yeah. Uh, Toby, what are your pronouns? Uh, he and him. Who do people say that you look like? Rodney the robot from the film Robots. I see that. Um, if you could be any toy, what toy would you be? Play-Doh. Expand quickly. Um, because, you know, I, I like just mixing around but also get stuck in on the walls and there's a bit like yeah but you know it gets in the fingernails <laughs> creepy it's horrible um, thing <laughs> what's your favorite biscuit uh white chocolate uh, and ray uh, and raspberry sorry cookies oh yummy um if you could t teleport anywhere in the world where would you teleport to the right blue now? mountains in australia oh lovely um what's your go-to dish sausage and mash but it's now shroom dogs and mash nice and lastly i feel like i know the answer to this i feel like the audience know the answer to this uh, cat or dog cat and she is currently uh, just meowing in the background i don't know if you there Meow. kaya she's also hard of hearing so she won't be able to hear <laughs> but there we go um cat was the answer brilliant excellent that was pretty quick thank you so much she is really meowing away i hope you can hey, hear. i can't hear her and she goes, okay, Alice, let's let's get straight into you because the listeners have been like, this is this is really what they're here for is your quick fire answers. Right. Um, yeah, that's it. Kaya, Kaya, this is afterthoughts. You can't talk over the recording. <laughs> you know, Twinks knew what she she was here for, you know, it's silent yeah. support. <laughs> okay, Alice, I, I'm ready to rock if you are. I'm ready. Alice, what pronouns do you use, please? She, her. Who do people say that you look like? My dad, or I was once told I looked like Misha Barton. If you could be any toy, what toy would you be? Lego. Expand a bit. Um, because it's really fun. 
everybody likes Lego. Not that everybody likes me, but it really hurts if you step on it. <laughs> Favorite biscuit? Um, a dark chocolate digestive that's been in the fridge. If you had a teleporter, where would you go to in the world? Um, I think similar theme to you, actually. I think I would choose to go to Yosemite Valley. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Beautiful. Um, what's your go-to dish? Um, I really like making, um, I don't know, I make a lot of stuff. This isn't going to be very quick. I should have thought about this one more effectively. Come on, Ass. My husband says that the only reason he married me is because I make a really good cheese sauce. Mm. So anything with cheese sauce, I guess. Okay. Uh, cat or dog? Cat. Cat. Kaya, there's your answer. I just cat. heard a little chirrup after I said cat. So, Alice, um, we are diving into um, a selection of the stories from series two. Very difficult, isn't it, to choose which story goes into one? Because to be honest, they could all, we could just, just everybody just listen to the series again. And that would just be the, the kind of the hint I would give. Like, there's so many fantastic stories. 100%. And I think the fact that we both kind of created our lists of what we thought we'd like to see in each section for this series. And they were pretty much completely different. Um, but we have managed to agree and settle on a few um, of our kind of standout moments. But like you say, there were a lot of standout moments of this series. And it's been absolutely fantastic to hear the stories of these young adults who um, have been diagnosed with cancer, lived through arguably much more than anyone should ever have to and come out the other side um, with just such a fantastic perspective. And um, yeah, I've said it throughout, but I was so astounded and blown away by these people and um, made me really glad that we do this podcast. So shall we, shall we go into uh, the first section? The first section is always uh, beyond the diagnosis and we have decided to uh, go to um, the storyteller who was calling in from Edinburgh uh, and who gives us a, a story which does uh, have, uh, it had a Christmassy feel to it, didn't it? It was uh, about mince pies. And what was, can, can you just tell the, uh, what's your favourite favorite thing about Deborah? My favourite thing, and there was a lot of great things about Deborah, but my favourite thing was kiss to the world and the hand gesture that goes with it. Um, I think about that a lot. And yeah, this story from Deborah about Beyond a Diagnosis um, that includes mince pies and the kindness of strangers um, is just a lovely one to kick off with. Obviously quite hard because so many cool moments after diagnosis. Um, but one that um, really stands out um, with how like ridiculously lovely it is, like it would be like from some kind of feel-good cancer film. Um, so I was on the neurological ward, neurosurgery, neuroscience. I think there's a difference. If a doctor's listening, they'll get mad at me, sorry. Um, in my bay, there were four ladies, very lovely, very funny. Um, the ones that were awake, great personalities. Um, and when I was treated um, up here in Scotland, even better, because Scottish people, I'm sorry, objectionably the funniest people. Um, and it was just very quiet because um, a lot of people with um, you know neurological conditions you know don't do much sadly um, a couple of people in a coma um, just I don't know there was definitely a sense of friendship there among the people that spoke because it was just so boring and nothing connects people like utter boredom um, I think so they would just get talking it would be like in those in scenes from prison movies where you'd reach a point and someone goes so what are you in for what are you in for what are you in for um, and um, I got to know quite a bit about all the different conditions and stuff um, and there would be some really awkward moments where they'd all be talking about their children at home or grandchildren and be like oh I'm at university um, but no, it was really nice. And nurses are always really nice on neurological wards. Maybe it's just with all cancer patients. Um, yeah, but they're always just really nice. And um, my mom's a nurse and she's told me that a lot of um, neurological nurses can be almost as crazy as the patients, um, which was really nice. 
it was just it wasn't um decorated for Christmas but there was still you know a really nice sense of family and just niceness in general um and I was feeling a bit low a bit miserable um not really because of the diagnosis but just like being like young and surrounded by a lot of older people and I was saying to my mom she'd visit me every day and it was November time and it, like the world had gone into Christmas mode you know like ridiculously like everywhere advertising um and I was like oh I'd really like a mince pie I can't wait to go to the Christmas markets blah 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 just going on and on and on um and there was a lady opposite me whose husband would visit her every day and he must have heard me you know going on to my mom um because later on that day um after he'd like gone to the pret downstairs yeah because the hospital I was in was so posh they had a pret um he came over with a little brown paper bag and was like oh I think you'll like this and he put it down and there was a little mince pie inside and I almost started crying over a mince pie in the John Radcliffe neuroscience ward um that was so lovely and that was so kind and I think he recognized that I was like obviously the youngest patient there and just felt a bit crap just wanted something to cheer me up um because I couldn't go downstairs and get one myself because I had a drain in my head that meant I like couldn't move much first of all it just made me feel really overwhelmed because I'd already encountered so much niceness in the form of my neurosurgeons the nurses and everything so that was just like the amazing cherry on top of the cake of oh my god people are so nice what the hell um because I've I've heard some cancer patients talk about how they experience a lot of false niceness and um I think it's called grief tourism um where people just want to hop onto the like train and see what's going on and then leave but I didn't really experience that I just I was just like astounded by how nice people are um and if I saw him I saw him now I'd say yeah just give him a big thank you I'd like to give him a hug but I probably shouldn't because of COVID yeah love him great guy <laughs> I love that and for those of you who are listening uh Deborah just blew a little kiss to the air uh, for, that, yes. for that nice moment. I hope it reaches him wherever he is in the south of England So there was uh, Deborah's story and mince pies, and we are moving straight into uh, the next part, which is those around us, Alice. Yeah, and those around us um, reflects on the fact that it's not just the individual that goes through cancer. Um, obviously, they might be the one with the tumour or they might be the one going through the treatment, but it actually impacts a lot of people around us. Um, and this was one we agreed on, actually, wasn't it? And it was the brilliant Bav from episode First one. Um, talking. Yeah, first up, um, talking about his um, youth support coordinator, wasn't it? Yeah, and a trip where, uh, sailing trip uh, with the wonderful Ellen MacArthur uh, Trust as well. So we really thought we should dive back into um, Bav's story uh, for those around us. So I guess I'll probably start this one. Um... And it's going to be around me, like one of the main people throughout my cancer treatment. Although she didn't have anything to do, she had, she had very, she didn't have as much to do with my treatment plan. And I didn't have much contact with her when I was actually having my treatment. It's the consultant who was at my local hospital where I wasn't treated, I was treated in the Birmingham Children's, but she was like an anchor almost at home. So I first met her. Um, pre-diagnosis um when I went to my local hospital just with um lymph nodes in my neck and it wasn't actually her who I was seeing I was seeing a general pediatrician and it just happened that the pediatrician had called um her in without me knowing that she was an oncologist we didn't have no idea at the time and she was called in just to take a look that was not my first ever memory of her that's like vivid of her kind of running into the treatment room being like yeah what can I do having a look being like okay and then going then after that the next time I remember seeing her was probably a, a long time after I think it was I must have seen her like once or twice whilst I was having treatment but as far as I can remember it was post-treatment 
and I guess that's where it all starts. Um, so I'd obviously had a lot of involvement with Teenage Cancer Trust, um, seen them a lot. They'd introduced me to a lot of different things, a lot of new people. Um, and I'd made like a few connections, but not, I did obviously have like friends with them, but I remember when they mentioned something about a sailing trip and then my consultant, this wonderful lady, asked me again about the sailing trip. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure if that's for me. I'm not sure how I am on boats. I'm a bit iffy, like I'm not sure how I'm gonna get on. I was really anxious and she was like, okay. She's like, Bab, you're going on this trip. She goes, we're going, we're going together. Next thing you know, my mom's packed all of my bags for me, um, getting in the car, pull up at the station you ready to go? And I was bricking it. I did not want to go at all. I do get homesick quite fast now. I've got a big reliance on my parents. I could call them multiple times a day. And I remember her saying to my mom and dad, um, they were like, he'll be fine. I remember my mom saying, make sure you push him a little bit. Make sure you make push him out of his comfort zone and make him do new things. And she goes, don't worry, we've got that sorted. And I kind of like remembers being there. She's like, "Hey, you're gonna be fine." She's like, "You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. You're gonna have fun. You're gonna have the best week of your life." And I was like, "I'm not." And I got it in my head. I was like, "I'm not gonna enjoy this. This is gonna be such a waste of time. I'm not. I don't know what I'm doing here." And it was honestly one of the best weeks of my entire life. I remember it so vividly. I remember at first I was very clingy to my consultant. I was like, okay, so you're going there. And I was like, hey, I'm just next door then. So I can run across if I need anything. She's like, no, you're not gonna run across if you need anything. Your people are on this boat. If you need anything, you talk to them. She's very like, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna enjoy it. You're gonna enjoy it. And I remember the first few days I was kind of a bit, oh, and then I started to like make friends, like I was opening up a bit more and it was I was starting to have fun and I was starting to like make connections, starting to make those memories, which I still have now. And I've still got those friends as well, fair few of them, still talk to them, There's especially two of them, I speak to them every day without a doubt. And then we go forward and I remember it was on the third day of the trip and there was a surprise. I hate surprises with a passion. I do not enjoy a surprise. Very, very few surprises in my eyes go right. Staying there and being there on the side of this thing, waiting for this so-called surprise. And I was like, what is gonna happen? And these jet skis come around the um, corner, not jet skis, I'd have forgotten what they're called. Like speedboat things. And I was like, I'm not getting on that. I am not getting on that. She's like, yes, you are. She goes, everyone's doing it. She goes, come on, let's go. We're going. And I remember getting on. And at first I was holding onto the seat in front of me for dear life. My hands are probably starting to swell up from how tight I was holding on. Ever since then, every trip we've been on, if I ever get a chance to go on the rib, I'm always on it. I always like being at the front. I absolutely love it now. So little things like that where she like kind of when people were like you're going to enjoy it, just do it just have a go if you don't like it you don't have to do it is ever since then I've actually started to open up and start doing things like this myself like from from around then because it was obviously someone I really trusted who was telling me just to do it you're going to be fine I feel like since then I've had to put that position on myself and then ever since then every single year I've had the chance to have gone back to Ellen MacArthur I now honestly like I know I keep saying it, my three, three of my closest friends are from those trips. We adore each other. I FaceTime one of them in particular every single day I talk to her without a doubt. And it's, I was just thinking, I always think back, if I didn't go on that trip, I wouldn't know these people. And second of all, I feel like those trips, especially having the consultant there as well, it made me kind of realise I'm fine. And that's when I made my connections I think on the whole with that and the Teenage Cancer Trust kind of events, that's when I like realised, okay, there's other people who've been through this and we're in it together and they actually understand what I've been through. It's not like other people saying, we know what you've been through. Because no, at the end of the day, we all have different experiences. So no one truly knows what you've been through but yourself. But I feel like these people, we were actually relating with each other and it was so nice. And yeah, I love it. And that consultant, every time... I wasn't her favourite patient at all times because I was a medical mystery in her eyes. The amount of stuff that went wrong with me, she 
even she was amazed most of the time. But I remember um, my last um, appointment, it wasn't in person, it was on the phone. My last proper appointment with her has been and gone, but I will never forget her. She's honestly such an amazing person. She's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving on now, we are um, going to talk about invisible impacts. Um, I think, uh, I know Toby always tells me off for saying this, but I think invisible impacts is one of my favourite of the themes that we explore on Afterthoughts because it gives us such a great chance to unpick a lot of stuff that we don't usually talk about. And again, this was one that Toby and I agreed on. Um, we wanted to revisit Caitlin's fantastic um, and moving and eloquent story about going through the menopause at 18. Well, going for treatment, like I was just so focused on getting rid of the cancer and that was it. I knew I'd, I'd go into menopause and I'd be infertile because of treatment, but I thought that was it. I wouldn't be able to have kids or my periods would stop. Now, because um, I had a bone marrow transplant as well, when you have an unrelated one, an unrelated donor, one thing your doctor always talks about is to look out for something called graft versus host disease or for relapse. That's all you think about. I never thought about the menopause and the health implications of it or to look out for it. I never thought anything of it. So months down the line, um, I started getting a bit sweaty and um, the first thing on my mind was I've relapsed like I became so afraid I thought I, I think I've actually relapsed I'm sweating again because that was one of my symptoms that made me go to the doctors and be like look I think I'm ill and that was like red flag for me for cancer so initially I thought I'd relapse with the sweats and when I asked my doctor she looked at my bloods because I was there once a week and she looked at my hormones first thing and she just went, oh, you're menopausal. That was it. She just blamed it on the menopause. And I thought, oh, right, okay. Um, the menopause makes you a bit sweaty. That was it. And I kind of just went on with my day. And eventually it just got to the point that the fatigue and the sweats were getting too much for me that I asked, can we do anything about it? So initially she sent me to an endocrinologist and I had to wait for weeks for that. And the endocrinologist wanted blood tests. They also wanted a, a DEXA scan. Now, it wasn't explained to me why I was having the DEXA scan. DEXA scan. They just wanted it. And when I went for the DEXA scan, I seen this big fat poster of like a woman with osteoporosis. And it talks about menopause and how it can lead to osteoporosis. So straight away, that like really struck me like, oh my gosh, the menopause is just more than being a bit sweaty. And that's when I found out that estrogen, which is what I was lacking, my body could no longer produce because of all the intense treatment I had. I did not realize that estrogen deficiency has an impact on your bones. It can deplete the health of your bones. And I never really thought about my health after treatment I thought once the cancer was gone that was it I was like cured and I can go on with my life I won't have any health issues now kind of thing and I did not realize that the menopause could actually bring on those health issues so when I found out obviously straight away I was on it like what can we do I'm bothered about osteoporosis and I spoke to other women as well who had a transplant someone who had one who 15 years ago now after she's 15 years post transplant, she now needs hip replacements because she was never put on HRT. So that really bothered me that I've been through cancer and now because of menopause, I'm bothered I'm going to need hip replacements in my 30s. I don't want to have to think about that. I wanted to just carry on with my life after cancer. So one thing I always say is once you ring that end of treatment bell, it really does not end there you still have to think about your health. And even though people say, oh, you're given booklets and that doctor talk, probably talks about menopause, I went back through them and there's not that much information on menopause and what how I can deal with it. 
Um, I don't want to blame my consultant because she supposedly specialises in the blood. She's not a menopause specialist. However, I do think there should be information given to me in a way, or there should have been some like more support. To be fair, my teenage cancer trust nurse did initially say, do you want to see a counsellor? And I said no to that because I was a bit of a stubborn teenager. But even my counsellor is not a menopause specialist. So when I finally seen the endocrinologist had the scan, I was a bit sh like shaken of, oh my gosh, the, the, the potential for osteoporosis. Uh, they recommend a HRT. Now, back then, I actually did not know a HRT was for menopausal women. And that is because I, going through school, I had a few friends who were transgender. So I always had the misconception that HRT was just for transgender people. So when it was recommended to me, straight away, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> HRT? That's for trans people. What? <laughs> uh, no, it's just for anyone who needs the right balance of hormones. I had no idea. So I had so many misconceptions about the menopause, HRT, and I think a lot of people do. And I don't want to say I was naive, but it's not really my fault that I didn't have that education. And it just shows that if I was educated, I could probably prevented my bone health not being as good as it should. Another thing that really made me shake was all I did, it, ironically it happened in the hospital I just got up out of the chair and went over on my ankle after one of my appointments I broke my leg so it just shows that after treatment how fragile I was and I never really thought about my health after I finished that treatment that's it once you ring that bell you think that's it it's over and I did not realize the impact menopause would have on me on my life and my bones and now, I, all I care about is protecting my bones now. That's always on my mind, or, or the thought of cancer coming back. I just want to protect my health and live my life without it inconvenient, like being an inconvenience, you know? But another thing was it, it was affecting me socially. Um, one thing that I tried to do was go back to college right after my transplant, and really I shouldn't. So when I restarted, all the teachers were made aware that, that I was given all female teachers were all made aware that I was menopausal and like socially it was affecting me um, as in a room full of 16 year olds when I was 18 and the teachers were very nice and opened all the windows for me and all the other kids were crying that they were cold but because I was hot and sweaty I'd be sat there with this my fan and I was just finding myself because I was so sweaty and I was wondering why the HRT wasn't working. And I was very, it was a very emotional time for me as well. And I remember being in the college toilets and a girl talking about asking me if I had a pad. And for a joke, I said, oh, I don't need to buy them anymore because I don't get periods. And she was like, oh, you're so lucky. And I was just kind of like, I'm not really that lucky, love. Um, and with me being infertile too, everyone brings up kids around me. All these incidents kept happening socially that it, it I just broke and said to my teenage cancer trust nurse, I do need counselling. I want to be able to rant about these things, you know? So I that's when I thought I, I need to seek help. So thankfully that help was there, but for I don't think there's too much for specifically menopause. I had to look for my own help. I became quite passionate in terms of seeking out what support is already there and actually raising my voice and saying, look, like say actually talking to my doctors, communicating with them, like, is there anything I can do? Is there anyone I can see? And because I started voicing my opinion, other people started like, you know, coming together. And I went online on social media looking for other people and I did find other women who were quite passionate about menopause as well and it's that community aspect I've really enjoyed and I've not felt alone anymore.
thank you so much to Caitlin there for her story in Invisible Impacts. And we felt like we couldn't uh, go on to another section without having the opportunity to to dive into Gloria's Invisible Impact as well, um, who discussed what it's like to be to have additional labels when whilst you're going through treatment and post treatment as well. Um, so we thought we would dive into Gloria's story on Invisible Impacts. Um, one Invisible Impact I um, I had, I guess, uh, was just realizing that um, having the di- having the cancer diagnosis made me different, like um, different from my peers on another level. So I um, I am Chinese, and I think going to school, I had already struggled with just um, my cultural identity because I was surrounded by peers who um, were Caucasian and I felt that I was very out of place. And so when I was told that I had cancer, to me as a 14 year old, I just felt very overwhelmed because I was like, oh my goodness, now I have another label um, like, you know, associated to me. And I just, it made me feel so different from everyone else. And I didn't really talk about it and I kept that bottled up and it wasn't healthy but I just didn't feel like I could I could talk about it to someone who didn't understand or um it might it might make people um think that I was overthinking and 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 just all all that kind of stuff you know you um you internally uh, think to yourself and so I remember uh having a really brief conversation with um Zoe, uh, the the youth coordinator, about how I was feeling because she was very big on asking you how you were feeling, and I think it got to a point where I was like, okay, I need to tell someone about this. So I talked to her, and she was like, okay, have you ever considered counselling? Um, which is something I had never considered before. Um, it's a big taboo um, within like the Asian community because if you seek counselling, that means you have a really big problem when that isn't necessarily the truth. I think it's just having the right outlet to be able to talk about your feelings um, without judgment and with someone that can understand. And so she recommended counselling and I, I I agreed to it. And it might have just been by accident or um, maybe it was on purpose, but I met my counsellor who came to see me a couple of days later and he was of Asian descent. I think when he walked in, I... Um, I didn't really have a strong feeling because I didn't really know um, what we were going to be talking about. And I think actually when I first saw him, I was a little bit fearful because I was like, oh, okay, Um, he is, um, you know, from a a similar background as I am. What if that is uh, like I know rationally, I I know that it wouldn't have been the problem because he is a counsellor. But I was like, what if he gets offended or what if he um, thinks what I'm saying is completely wrong? But um, but I think when we sat down, he was very reassuring. And when once the minute I started talking about um, things that I that were affecting me from a cultural like point of view, he was really understanding. And I think that's when I really um, felt appreciative that he was um, uh, from an Asian descent because I felt that he understood me more than maybe someone um, of a different background would have. And I didn't realize how important that would that would be because when I started talking about how I was feeling he was really good at empathizing and understanding um where I was coming from from a cultural perspective because I think I got really upset at one point asking him like talking to him and being really embarrassed that I was seeking um or or like you know talking to a counselor and he was like it is understandable and that is like within the Asian community, that is something that we um, need, you know, that shouldn't be such a big taboo. But I'm glad we talked about it. And our conversations were really, really honest. And I think that was really helpful for me because then I wasn't ashamed. And he helped me really like find ways to get rid of that mindset. And um, I continued seeing him for a while as it was just um, something that they recommended. And it was so valuable, just helping me through that uh, cancer diagnosis or or 
beyond cancer diagnosis. Series two, um, obviously, working with Teenage Cancer Trust and uh, the young adults who have been supported by them, we wanted to explore this section called Teenage Kicks, which is the stories of those things that happen to young people who've had cancer that those who haven't had cancer might not experience. And um, I thought, we both thought, um, that Loz's story around uh, their identity um, and growing up as a cancer patient and not necessarily getting the same experience as other young adults. I think growing up as a cancer patient, you don't get the kind of same sort of school as a teenager normally would sort of shape your personality and you would grow up alongside your friends whereas being sort of outside of school being sort of very isolated and feeling quite unwell you don't get the sort of growing up experience as normal when I was on treatment there's like a lot of like friendship drama and like people having like arguments over the tiniest things or like I remember there was one time when I was with a group of people and they're like, oh my God, my hair looks so awful. Like I look so bad. And I was sat with like my bald scalp and I was like, don't worry about your hair. Honestly, it's not a big deal. Like, so I think something that would be a big deal to someone off treatment, I like, I think it kind of, for me, puts small things into perspective. Um, and I've struggled quite a lot throughout my sort of treatment and post-treatment with sort of identities, sexuality and things like that. And I had a moment sort of six months after my treatment where I had watched quite a lot of YouTube throughout my treatment. And there was two specific YouTubers that I watched, Dan and Phil. I've watched them since I was maybe 11 or 12. So they've been part of my life quite a long time. And they came out and watching that, I was like, oh my God, this is something that has been a part of me for such a long time that I haven't thought about or sort of confronted because I was like, I've got so much going on with my chemo and like my radio. That I was like, I'm just going to put that in a box and not think about it at all. I don't want to stress myself out anymore. Um, so I think that's sort of something that not a lot of people would think about is sort of coming to terms with your identity while having quite a stressful experience. Um, and I actually met those two YouTubers for my, for my Make-A-Wish, which was really amazing. Um, I met them in March. I went to Battersea Dogs Home, so I met loads of puppies and I did agility with them, which was so nice. That sounds like such a good day so it's like seeing them and them being such a big part of my life and then them coming out and seeing them be able to sort of talk about that on such a massive platform um sort of made me realize like if they can do this to such a big platform then it's something that I can confront like within myself like like they can do it so I can as well um and seeing them and being able to meet them and like sort of say thank you to them was something that was like such a great experience. That was Loz's story and like many of our storytellers, Loz uh, did talk to us about her wonderful uh, dog uh, to Percy uh, and oh, yeah. uh, lovely Percy and um, also like yeah we had that with a number of our storytellers didn't we? So, so we, much pet chat. So much pet chat and I mean uh, maybe that's um, the delights of Zoom and being in lockdown but also I think it's like maybe we just prompt that when we because we talk about cats and dogs quite a lot don't we? to think yes you're right we do talk about cats and dogs um but just to take it back to a slightly more serious element as well Ooh. i think um it also really amplifies what afterthoughts is about because it's about the human not just the cancer and you know pets and stuff they're a big part of who we are as people and uh, yeah i'm glad that people come on our podcast and talk about their pets 
Well, that is just lovely, Alice. But let's, <laughs> let's talk about um, another human, uh, another human who joined us. Uh, but they joined us all the way from Hawaii, uh, and he did get up at ridiculous o'clock. Um, so early. So early to speak to us. And it was fantastic to watch the sunrise while uh, Boris was chatting to us. But he did knock Deborah off the top spot of person we'd talked to furthest away. That yes, so that competition is going to continue uh, as we look to get more stories from uh, young people and young adults from around the world. I think in the future, you know, that's brilliant in in the back pocket, isn't it? Um, yeah. And so let's let's dive into Boris's story, uh, lost conversations, and really di- diving into the mind and body and the connection that they have. So we go to a doctor and we are told, okay, you will get this like this many cycles of this treatment and uh, yeah those are the side effects you can get and yeah you just have to deal with it it might hurt it might be hard but no one ever tells us how we can affect how we feel how we do with the aspect of our mind I, I was talking to doctor about it and they like, uh, you can try, there's nothing hurts. Like if any doctor tells you that there's no mind-body connection, just think of erection. Like, it's the easiest example, right? 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 So, uh, yeah, it's about creating good feeling in yourself, removing stress. I have a story about stress. One, one like, the, the last last cycle I came in stressed because I just didn't want to eat before my treatment and my mom was like oh you have to eat I'm like no it always makes me feel good when I go fasted and we had just like I just exploded I don't know just maybe trapped emotion I just exploded at her and then I was like I'm sorry but I was very tense going there and they couldn't put the needle in for three times like they, they they tried every single vein and then they had to ask the best nurse and and on the whole unit just to get it in so you could just feel from that point like when I came in stressed but but my body resisted any anything so it's the importance of not having stress being in the as relaxed state as possible and yeah in fact I got a very bad vein inflammation but I was in pain for one week straight like my whole my whole arm was in pain so then I had to had the canal in just to I don't know what is it called but it inserts just in your arm and goes just above your heart inside of you uh, yeah and it's just focusing on positive and in fact I refused to read the sheet with side effects because I didn't want them to be in my subconscious but they can appear I was just, okay, I'll be present. I'll be observing what happens, but I don't want to have anything in my head, but I might manifest in some way, like, um, like I'll get that or this, or if this is going to happen, am I going to vomit? You know, it's just don't think about the negatives and be very present. Watch, watch what's happening with your body, but stay positive. And for me, that was the, the meditation each day i was visualizing healing uh, trying to stay in a positive uh, attitude toward everything and it's about not holding hard feelings toward the treatment because we are giving a perception that it's uh, it's chemotherapy is kind of harmful it's harsh chemicals uh, they might create some side effects but it's good to approach it as something that will help you and help you heal. So be like grateful. Okay, this is coming into my veins. Well, one thing I did, there was like a pink medicine. Uh, one of the ABBD's uh, drugs was just pink color. And I was like, okay, now I'm given strawberry juice. And then there was yellow one. So I was, okay, now I'm uh, grape grape. grape grapefruit juice no grape grape juice so i was just trying to make it seem as it's something you know nothing so bad and you know i was the cook and you are just one of the ingredients to create something out of it you know so it was just 
I'm, I'm, I'm the boss here and you were just helping me to do something. Well, I, like I, that's my own belief that sometimes cancer doesn't happen to us but for us because there is this hard bit like I don't I don't want anyone to go through it but there are things that we can learn from it take out find our purpose I don't know awaken like there's a lot of positives around it from the experience but it's just how what perception we have in our head how we approach it how we approach the experience i love that bit where boris says about if you want proof that the mind-body connection exists just think about erections uh, because i genuinely believe in the mind-body connection and sometimes i think when people don't um sometimes you need a really good persuasion technique and I think that's a such a good example of how the mind and the body are connected so thanks to Boris for giving me a tool in my arsenal for arguing that the mind-body connection is real that yeah and always good to have an amusing anecdote as well which is exactly moving on to our amusing anecdotes that we always end afterthoughts in on don't we yeah um, there's a nice link there Uh, we could have picked any story um for the don't laugh section, right? Right. And I I think the thing about it is, um, I think this section is so important because cancer can be funny. And I think we need to open up these conversations. And while I was really pushing for Gloria's story about her terrible haircut, we settled on this equally brilliant story from Jake um, and hashtag possibly not Randall um, and his experience of hearing a dog possibly being what's it called defibrillated that wasn't great was it what a teaser that's fine (laughs) let's dive into it this is finding some light and an awful lot of darkness basically Um, I've heard from people on the ward that they have a therapy dog who comes on and I thought great this is what I need like I've answered the question earlier cats are dogs dogs therapy dog great this is going to be great for me can't wait so one morning I get this dog come in first day on the job first patient me so this was ideal you know I thought like who like who better than me obviously so this dog comes out I can't remember its uh breed I've got a name for it which you'll find out later in the story but uh Yes, this dog came in and I remember I had my parents in and it was just great because I was with a dog's person and it was just stroking this dog and that and it was so calm and I felt felt like some sort of Bond villain or something with a cat just the way stroking this little dog and it was so relaxing and calm and that leads to that night me having, I don't know if I must have been on a bit too much morphine that day. I I know I'd always try and get our morph as soon as I could but I don't know if I'd been a bit too much pain close that day. I remember waking up or like thinking I was walking out. It was probably a dream. I don't know, some sort of hallucination of the emergency alarm going off on the ward. And I'd heard like it always say a defibrillator, like clear. And then like and hearing like a last like howl, like a dog howl. And then like a flat line, <laughs> like, which um, got to the morning, <laughs> which I got to the morning. And like told me mom in this like horror because I got so attached to the dog in the like five, ten minutes I got annoyed. But I heard this howl going and it's it's died already, hasn't it? So like my mom and all this is like, right, I'll, I'll talk to the nurses, we'll get this sorted, don't worry. And like, this is the thing, like, am I going mad? Or is it just me? Like just like I don't know. So my mom asked and the nurses said no, 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 no dogs died. But my defence to that was they went in overnight. They've just came in. So she didn't get word off the nurses who were in. They could have just cleared the dog and that. And what happened with the hallucination, which kind of makes me lead towards it not being true, is they put the dead body in a chair in my room like as soon as it died. So I thought it a bit weird if it was true. And then... Um, that led to uh, me describing the situation as the Specsavers advert. Like, Karen, I've got a cat with no pulse here. Like, it was almost <laughs> like that was the dog. 
like characters <laughs> yeah. said it was the dog, which apparently was called Randall in this hallucination. So Randall the dog, rest in oh. peace. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is a great story. I love that one so much. And like, it just how mental drugs makers is just confounding, isn't it? They do wild things to your brain. That that was a great story. And did yeah, you ever see Randall yeah. the dog? Did you ever see Randall again, like the real life Randall? So we don't know for sure that Randall ever survived. Um, if there are any listeners out there who know <laughs> Randall, the hospital dog, please let, send us in a note just to let us please. know that Randall is alive. Randall, please. the therapy dog. For, was, was that when you were at the Freeman? That was at the RVI in Newcastle. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're, we're doing a call out here for uh, Randall, maybe not called Randall, <laughs> the uh, therapy dog that goes in. I think this could be a, uh, a big search that we could be doing. Like, we could I think, put it on social, like hashtag find Randall. Find, <laughs> hashtag find Randall. There we are, Alice. That is it. That uh, That's our wrap-up episode um, and all of the stories uh, from our storytellers. Absolutely. And um, we've kind of pulled out the highlights, but um, there is so much stuff in each of the episodes. I really think if you haven't heard any of the other episodes from this series, do dive back into them because, like we said, um, our storytellers have been fantastic and there's some great stuff in there um, and I would heartily recommend it to you all. Um, Alice, how is how's it going on the hashtag Fine Randall? Like, because you, you were doing a big push to that, weren't you? What's happening? It would have been going better mm. if I'd actually done it. That's really disappointing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tweeted uh, the hospital. Didn't get any response at all. Did you? You tweeted yeah, the hospital? Did I not tell you that? No. Yeah, I tweeted them and just said that we're looking for a dog named Randall. Um, yeah, we got nothing back. Nothing maybe back. we should, maybe if we were going to do it, we should get in touch with the hospital and find out who do their therapy dogs and then get in touch with them and ask them. Don't don't give us any more false promises, you know. Why not? This is, this is, uh... I was supposed to do cats and dogs of afterthoughts as well, and now we're just proving that I'm really bad at my job. <laughs> Toby, do you want to do a quick afterthought on this series of afterthoughts as a whole? I do. Um, I I've been thinking about what I was going to say for this because I think it's it's more a wrap up of of the whole series rather than just of this episode and the stories we've heard and I think that's actually one of the brilliant things is that it's not just about the stories we've heard today it's about as you were saying earlier it's the humans that have come on to share them who have been our storytellers and it has been incredible to be able to speak to the seven seven teenagers and young adults that we've had the chance to to meet over this series and for them to come on to kindly offer their stories to to dive into some of those experiences and to find the language to be able to share them with us but also with you the listeners I just I like full fully commend them on that because it's been really beautiful to be able to um, have the opportunity to amplify those stories and I think we've got a lot from them I just got goose pimples could be because it's quite chilly but who knows <laughs> what about you Alice uh, tell us your afterthoughts on this series of afterthoughts um yeah so I mean I've I echo everything you said and I've kind of banged on about how how grateful I am to each of the storytellers for being so generous throughout but for me um I think there's so much conversation around when people talk about cancer they they don't necessarily talk about what happens afterwards and that's the whole ethos of, of afterthoughts and I just think you know more and more people are surviving cancer and we need to make sure that there are stories and there is a safe place for people to talk about what happens afterwards especially when it's young people um, and you know that's why we do what we do and um, this series has just proved to me again that it is all worthwhile and um yeah, and I have laughed so much this series as well with our fantastic storytellers. And uh, yeah, it's been great. I've loved it. 
So what what next, Alice? What do you think is going to come next for Afterthoughts? Who knows? <laughs> oh, you're teasing us there. I thought you were actually going to say something. But there is something to say, but we just can't say it right now, right? Yeah, it's still top secret. But watch this space um, and hopefully uh, we will be in your ear holes again oh, very soon. In your ear holes. That is delightful. Um, but till, till then... Uh, Thank you so much for listening to series two of Afterthoughts, the teenage years. Thank you specifically to Teenage Cancer Trust for supporting us and to the storytellers who have come on. Yep. And um, from us to you, um, take good care of yourselves and we will see you next time. If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to somebody about, we really recommend grabbing a cuppa with a friend or dropping them a message on WhatsApp. There are also tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support. Thanks so much to Teenage Cancer Trust for supporting Afterthoughts, the teenage years, and supporting teens and young adults diagnosed with cancer in the UK. The work they do is incredible. Find out more at teenagecancertrust.org. Afterthoughts is produced by Alice May Perkis and Toby Peach from Beyond Arts with sound design by Kieran Lucas.